bring up a teardown of the most exciting election results since the last really exciting ones. It's a good night for everyone, or a bad night for everyone. Oh, just a night. Hello, Paul Osborne here. Thank you uh, for downloading our election special podcast direct from our election headquarters. Look, we've said before that for the likes of me, an election is the equivalent of a big football match. If a general election is like a World Cup, then these local elections were a kind of goalless draw in the Sunday League. Thousands of councillors, millions of votes, and then at the end of it, we end up pretty much where we were before anybody had tied a pencil onto a piece of string. Nationally, it's a bit of a dead heat. There was a small swing to the Conservatives across England, except in London, where there was a small swing to the Labour Party. But Labour didn't seize the flagship Tory councils in London that they said they would, and they didn't achieve very much outside London either, while the Tories made a couple of very modest gains. As we stumble blinking into this brave new world, so to speak, let's pick through the wreckage with Robert Meakin. Robert I mean, I mean no disrespect to the people of Plymouth or Kirklees or wherever, but but when you're saying hot news, everybody, Labour gained four councillors in Plymouth, then you know it's not been the most exciting election night. Yeah, I, the, the reality is, uh, while while Labour are putting a brave face on it and saying it, it it's a it was a good, stable, solid performance. We've consolidated, stroke built on what we had before. They will, of course, quietly behind the scenes be reasonably deflated. They didn't get those big breakthroughs they hoped for. While the Tories, on the other hand, will be more relieved than they're uh, letting on, to be honest. I think they'd have, they'd have feared a kicking was on the horizon. That, did, that didn't come to pass. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get through um, what, it, what it means for each party as, as we go. I think there are reasons to be worried, actually, for both of the main parties, and, and, and we'll get on to that. If you drill into it, I mean, it's, it, it, we haven't got off to a good start by going, don't worry, everyone, dull election, see you next time. Uh, There is some interesting stuff, I promise you. The Tories have had a nightmarish few weeks. Brexit is still lumbering on disastrously. The Windrush scandal, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. And yet they were picking up votes in large parts of England. Uh, We talked last time in the preview uh, podcast of these elections that the key issue was going to be where those UKIP votes went, that they got to the 16, 17% four years ago. So where were all those UKIP voters going to go? Now, a lot of them, it seems, ended up voting Tory this time, and that has helped them in places like, say, Basildon. But equally, the Tories hung on to some key London councils that Labour was targeting, and that is nothing to do with UKIP votes. No, uh, the, uh, the Tories will be mightily relieved to have held on, obviously, to Wandsworth in particular. There was obviously a big groundswell of feeling that that was going to be vulnerable. It was vulnerable. Uh, Labour obviously made gains there, but they didn't quite get over the finish line. They did knock the Tories out there. But I mean, that, you know, for, for Conservatives in London, Wandsworth holds such symbolism uh, dating back to the days of Margaret Thatcher. And if that had fallen, my goodness, I mean, La- Labour would have been celebrating hard. But as I say, the Tories clung on. If we've learned one lesson from this, it's you've really got to moderate 
your expectations. From the moment the polls closed on Thursday night, Labour sources were suddenly going, well, you know, it's not about winning councils, it's about winning councillors. Wandsworth has never been anything other than Conservative. It would be a miracle if Wandsworth could fall to the Labour Party. That is sadly not what you were saying all the way through the campaign. All the way through the campaign, you were saying, we're going to march across these historically conservative councils, painting them red. Wandsworth, Westminster, Kensington and Chelsea. They're all going to fall. All bets are off. And it's because there was a poll done in February that suggested there'd be a swing to Labour of 7.5% in London. By the time we actually got to the election, that swing had fallen to 2%. Well, that's fine. But what could have been a story of modest success for you, of gaining councillors in places where you haven't done that well in the past, has become a story of Labour misfired badly and didn't win all the councils they told us they were going to win. Now, that's not the media's fault. We didn't go around saying you were going to win Wandsworth. You started that. In their defence, of course, when you actually are running these campaigns on the ground and you're relying on people's energy and goodwill and optimism to get the message out, you are going to exaggerate your prospects uh, quite a lot. So, yeah, you you go into this strange phony war mentality where you probably do, as I say, exaggerate your chances, really talk up your prospects to, to to, to your army on the ground, so to speak. I also found it amusing, though, that Jeremy Corbyn has since said that uh, this was all down to a Tory plot. They were the ones who raised expectations among Labour supporters. Those sneaky Tories going around. Sneaky Tories going around firing up Labour activists by telling them that they could win. Look, I... I I get it. If you're trying to motivate people on a wet Wednesday night to go out door knocking, you are not going to do it by saying, come on, comrades, advance forward to modest gains. (laughs) That's not going to work. But, But equally, maybe keep that kind of conversation for the party meetings. Maybe don't come out and talk to the likes of me and and newspaper journalists and say, you know, we're going to be running up the red flag in in Wandsworth and and Westminster. You know, in Wandsworth, as you say, they made gains, they ran them close. You know, on any impartial analysis, Labour did well in Wandsworth. The problem was they told us they were probably going to win. So it looks like a disappointment. Then when you look at Westminster... Which they, they would never had a chance of taking control of Westminster. And in the end, they got three extra seats. Kensington and Chelsea, one extra seat. Just moderate your expectations a little. And it wouldn't have been such a, a problem to have to spin these results the morning after. But we have to talk about Barnet. Because of all the London councils, Barnet on paper should have been a cakewalk for the Labour Party. They only needed a handful of gains, like one or two councillors to change over and they would have won control of the council. What happened? The Tories gained seats and Labour lost seats. The Labour leader on Barnet Council has said there's no question that the anti-Semitism row harmed Labour's chances in that election. Ken Livingston has even admitted that him wandering around from studio to studio banging on about Hitler probably didn't help the Labour Party in an area with a substantial Jewish population. Though it's worth pointing out, the morning after the election, he popped into the Sky News studio to bang on about Hitler again. Yes, I don't think Ken is ever going to stop banging on about Hitler. He's dug himself so deep into that argument. I don't think there's any way out. In, in terms of Barnet, I mean, we, we did wonder, didn't we? Yeah, was, Would Labour be bitten badly there after the the 
frankly, botched handling of this anti-Semitism scandal that's been rife inside the party. That was a very bad result for the Labour Party. And you have to say, you have to argue, probably self-inflicted. Labour started the night dominant in London local politics. They ended the night dominant in London local politics, but they didn't make significant advances. But but there is that question of, do results like this actually help Labour in terms of trying to win a general election? Labour is dominant in London. It is piling up more votes in places where it's already going to win seats at a general election. Is Labour making the kind of advances in places where they need to gain seats? Nuneaton, which you think back to the 2015 election, we said Nuneaton was one of these key sort of bellwether constituencies. If Labour could win Nuneaton, they might win the general election. And, and in the end, they didn't win it. Well, on Thursday night, Labour lost control of the council in Nuneaton. That's the kind of place where Labour need to be making advances. Uh, Jess Phillips, Labour MP in Birmingham, saying uh, after the votes, we can't have a ticker tape parade. We have to accept the fact that we still have a problem, that the Labour Party is existing in a bit of an echo chamber where we're all telling each other that we're brilliant, but we're not reaching out to the voters that we need to. And the quote that I wrote down, we need to start thinking about the people who have left us all over the country. And, and Labour activists will tell you how well they've done in London. They'll tell you about places like you know Newcastle and Manchester, where the Labour Party has always been strong. But if you're going to win an election, you still need to win another 50 seats. There are not 50 gains to be had in any major cities in this country. You need to reach out into places that are currently conservative and win them over. And I still don't see evidence that that's happening. No, and I, I think it's always that's the price of this remarkable journey the Labour Party has been on. The cult of Corbyn just blinds people to any sort of idea of internal inquiry, of of wondering, could we do certain things better? Where have we come up short? If anyone even in the Parliamentary Party steps forward to suggest that, it's all all about a terrible plot against Jeremy. I don't think the people who now are literally in control of the, the machinery of the Labour Party really want to hear such things at the moment. It's this principle that one more heave will will do it. We can't blame them for that because you know, after what happened with the general election, he had a poor local election result those few weeks before. We were thinking this is looking like an utter car crash for Corbyn when he actually goes to general election. Well, it wasn't. And maybe there's still, you know, we might think of it as blind optimism, but you can see why they're coming from that sometimes. They, they, they think this man really can overcome all manner of odds because he's already done that beforehand. If you look at the times in the past when national governments have changed hands, if you look at 1997, you look at 2010, for example. The years leading up to 1997, Labour are consistently comfortably ahead of the Conservatives in every election, European, local, by-elections, comfortably ahead. In the years leading up to 2010, the Conservatives weren't comfortably ahead of Labour, but they were ahead of Labour every time there was local elections. Here we are, you know, the projected national vote share from these local elections is a dead heat. 35% Conservative, 35% Labour. Oppositions need to be ahead of the government in midterm elections to build up a momentum that leads them towards a chance of victory in a general election. So while they're congratulating themselves on having more and more and more votes in London, more and more and more councillors in safe Labour areas, you do need to think about if you want to put Labour into government, how are you going to moderate your message to the people of, for example, Nuneaton? The Tories have looked on the back foot and yet say it is the time for Labour, as you say, to be seizing the initiative. It should have been a night 
where Labour performed better and gave the Tories a real bloody nose at the very least. And that didn't happen, curiously. So for all the brave faces and for all the noises saying we're more than happy and content with how we performed, you, you, you know, Labour have to be concerned that they didn't cut through more. I'm sorry, you can put the best spin you like on it, but you know in your heart you should be further ahead than this. Uh, move on to look at how some of the other parties have done because uh, the Liberal Democrats gained councils like Richmond in London and South Cambridgeshire their projected national vote show is 16% that is significantly up on their general election performance though you have to point out Lib Dems always do better in local elections than they do in general elections they are starting from a a very low base but they'll be pretty happy you'd have thought with how this has gone I think for them it's a very encouraging result. They've been on the floor in recent years, obviously, since the the coalition days. This represents genuine, solid progress for Vince Cable and the Liberal Democrats. You know, they've pitched their tent, you know, pretty clearly it's pretty clear where they stand in terms of being the anti-brexit party we have wondered whether there's any real you know, solid um, vote space in this but they, they've proved at a local level it has worked for them and they they're coming back in traditional lib dem areas as you say like richmond they're coming back and they're taking over the council so definitely encouraging noises for them uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a decent foundation they, they can build on now if the Lib Dems are going to rebuild they're going to have to do it from local government so this yeah, is absolutely. this is the basis of, of any rebuilding so they, they you know they will be happy with that we should just mention uh, Victoria Atherston who was the guest we spoke to in the last podcast who was running for council for the Liberal Democrats for the first time uh, she got elected and is now a councillor in Cheltenham she won she won her seat on Thursday night that was obviously down to the podcast we should say that was us that was promotion for you and and, you know get in touch Uh, aspiring politicians get in touch join the winning team ladies and gentlemen it's not Labour or Conservative it's us Uh, the Greens had a pretty good night picked up a a good few a good few council seats in places where they haven't had uh, people elected before at Richmond again Sheffield Uh, it turns out the council going around cutting down all the trees in Sheffield wasn't politically a very smart move again uh, Greens start from a very low base but they'd have been really fearful of getting squeezed out uh, after picking up a lot of protest votes from disgruntled Lib Dems in the last few years so they'll be relieved I think to feel that they've carved out a little niche I think so yeah I, I, I think that there is a genuine support base there for the Greens certainly at the local level as well so I don't I don't see them evaporating like possibly another party we'll talk about shortly I do I do, I do think the Greens are going to be around well as Robert predicted let's talk about UKIP welcome to UKIP Corner. This is where we insert the comedy sound effect. Their journey to total irrelevance is continuing. They lost pretty much all of the councillors that they won in these elections four years ago. Uh, You can always rely on them to come up with the perfect quote. This time it was uh, Paul Oakley. Remember that name. Uh, He apparently is UKIP's general secretary. Who knew? Uh, Who the day after the elections compared UKIP to the Black Death because the Black Death, you see, it went away and then it came back. And so will UKIP. So there you have it from a senior UKIP figure, Robert. UKIP is like the plague. Yes, you do. You do get the sense that UKIP's spin operation is, 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 in a, is in a bit of difficulty. I'm not sure about the calibre of uh, Mr Oakley or his spin doctors by making such, a, such an analogy. I think their, their race is, is, is run. I think they, they are a spent political force. The truth is the British electorate 
don't want to hear from them anymore. I think they're considered a party of the past. I think they are considered the party of Nigel Farage, who is no longer the leader. And as I say, I, say, I think it, it's, uh, it's curtains for them. So at the end of all this, where are we? Other than exactly where we already were. The BBC, uh, God bless them, had a go at extrapolating the results from these local elections and saying, what would this mean if this was the result of a general election? Uh, it projected that Labour would finish up on 283 seats, the Conservatives on 280, and the Liberal Democrats on 22. Now, I have a very large barrel of salt next to me, which you should take with that poll, because uh, these elections were only in parts of England. 40% of the seats up for grabs were in London, so London had a disproportionate influence on the total result. What it seems to suggest, though, if, if, if we're going to learn anything from this sort of standstill election, is that no one's breaking through. No one's decisively moving forwards. And you still get the sense that there are a lot of voters floating around, feeling a bit homeless, looking for someone that they can feel comfortable with. If somebody, anybody, could find a way to connect with them, then actually everything could change. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's reverting to a very sort of traditional state of affairs, isn't it? You know, the obviously metropolitan cities, Labour, the Shires, Tories. Now, there have been times in recent political history, think of Tony Blair going into some of those Tory shires and winning with Labour, and vice versa with Cameron's Tories breaking in more into some of those metropolitan areas, obviously the success of Boris Johnson as London Mayor as well. But at the moment, it seems to have really reverted back to a fairly old-fashioned arrangement where the Tories are again leading from the shires, Labour leading from the cities, and it looks pretty level-pegging at the moment. It really should have been a much worse night for the Conservatives when you consider the mood music. Uh, four days before these local elections, Amber Rudd resigned as Home Secretary after a fortnight of pressure over the government's response to Windrush. That saw Sajid Javid being elevated to the Home Office, becoming the first politician from a minority background to hold one of the four big government jobs. Robert, it's interesting, I think, that there's a lot of sympathy at Westminster for Amber Rudd. Now, it's fair to say she handled this badly and it exposed the extent to which she did not have a grip on what was going on in her own department. She wasn't able to quickly and, and decisively answer these questions. She got a lot of stuff wrong. And in the end, whether inadvertently or deliberately, she ended up misleading Parliament. But... There is just a sense from a lot of people at Westminster that she ended up carrying the can for something that was, in the end, Theresa May's fault. Obviously, a strong argument can be made for that last part, that indeed she did uh, carry responsibility that could easily be been placed at the Prime Minister's door. Being Home Secretary, they say it's a poison chalice. I don't think that's an exaggeration here. And if to look at, while well, Theresa May lasted a long time, Home Secretaries generally don't last all that long. I think what Amber Rudd was guilty of was simply not being completely on top of her brief. Now, it's a, it's a very, very difficult brief to keep on top of. And she made a complete hash of it. And she had to go inevitably. But I, I don't think there was anything sinister on her part. I think it was an old-fashioned cock-up. This is just such a toxic issue for the Tories. And you saw it as they scrabbled around trying to find a response to, to the Windrush scandal. They don't know how to talk about it 
without making it worse. Every time the Conservatives were asked to explain what had happened with Windrush, they ended up talking about illegal immigration. Well, the public want to crack down on illegal immigration. And then the interviewers would try and drag them back and say, yes, but the people we're talking about aren't illegal immigrants. They are people who have a legal right to live in this country. And the problem is you've created a political climate where people who have a right to live and work in this country are treated by government agencies with suspicion as if they were here illegally. You set targets to remove illegal immigrants. You put civil servants under pressure to hit those targets. You introduce laws that make people prove their right to be here before they start a job or get health care or rent a flat. And then inevitably what happens is that people who look, quotes, a bit foreign, start getting caught up in that net, start getting asked to prove their immigration status, which is when you then discover that you don't have records to prove that people who have a right to be here have that right. And then what happens is that those overzealous officials who want to kick out more people because they've got targets to meet start to see those people as legitimate targets. And it all adds up to that idea that on this issue, the Tories just don't know how to handle it. I think it was Tuesday this week in the House of Commons when the, the Shadow Home Secretary, Diane Abbott, uh, was speaking and there were there were numerous interventions or attempted interventions from the Tory benches. And it was often about illegal immigration, which is a very, very serious issue in this country. It just wasn't the issue we were debating at the time. We were debating this absolute travesty that's involved Windrush immigrants who certainly aren't illegal immigrants. And yet the Tories were trying, as you say, to take it back to there, to say to Labour, what's your view on illegal immigrants? It was utterly irrelevant and it was wrong. On the flip side of that, you have to, you do wonder where, where the real concern for the people affected ends and where just the, the desperation to claim a Tory scalp was. I mean, I have to say there was quite a lot of the latter. In one way, I have a certain amount of sympathy for, for politicians here because a lot of the time, and I think Windrush has exposed this a bit, Politicians don't necessarily do the thing they think is best for the country. They do the thing that they think that voters want them to do. You know, witness Brexit. You know, if you if you if you injected MPs with truth drugs, not that many of them would say they thought Brexit was a good idea, but they have to do it because it's what voters have told them to do. And similarly, voters have been saying in poll after poll, year after year, they want to crack down on immigration. They want fewer people allowed into the country. So politicians create this hostile environment that makes it harder for people to come from another country and settle in this in, in this country. And then when people bump up against the consequences of that policy, being enacted, those same voters howl with outrage at the injustice of it. To an extent, it was the voters' fault. You've been banging on about this for years, and MPs have just thought, oh, we better get on board with that because that's what they want us to do. Yeah, exactly. They are. And this, this current government, again, is, is just trying to satisfy that public appetite for strict immigration laws. And it, it's just a fairly dreary, uh, predictable cycle. You get sort of a, a new Home Secretary arrives. He or she is presented as probably having some liberal sensibilities, but then suddenly has to come down hard again when there's when there's pressure or from other quarters. And then it goes back the other way. You've seen this many times with Home Secretaries who have come and 
regard the Labour Home Secretaries who, who've tried to appear rather hard on immigration that is within the traditions of the party, Tories who've tried to appear rather more liberal than traditions of their party suggest, and then it lurches back the other way. It's a, it's a very, very difficult job, Home Secretary, probably the worst job, I would, I would argue, in, in top British politics. But uh, there's also a great deal of cynicism involved because you're trying constantly to second guess, to appease, to satisfy that appetite among the voters for you know, controlled, stroke strict immigration, whatever the political climate is at the time. Well, as we recover from the breathless excitement of election night, uh, we'll leave it there for now. Don't forget, uh, we're on Twitter at Party Games Pod, and we're also on Instagram, whatever that is. Um, until next time, thanks to Robert. Thanks very much to you for listening. For now, goodbye. Mm-hmm.